man, I, I was just listening to that report, Chris, out of uh, Italy, a high profile Italian doctor from one of the hospitals in Lombardy, where we have uh, been talking to one of our good friends on the show uh, numerous times, Joanne Natale, who is from Milan and very familiar with, uh, you know, the show because she's been on it a couple of times talking about how devastating it was the epicenter of Italy's COVID-19 epidemic. And to hear that now one of their ICU room doctors is saying to the media that it clinically no longer exists, the coronavirus, that the viral load is very, very low, it's perplexing. So I thought we'd bring on Dr. Suman Chakrabati, who is an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chakrabati. Good to have you on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I got to apologize for butchering your last name. Anytime it's like uh, teachers used to, to do it to me all the time in, in grade school. It's like if there's a massive name that you don't want to mess up there, you are invariably going to screw it up in some way, shape or form. So you, you I have to great. apologize off the hop. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a nice man. Um, let's start off with this high profile doctor. He is from one of the hospitals hardest hit in Lombardy, an area in uh, where Milan is actually located. It's the epicenter of Italy's COVID-19 epidemic. It was making headlines after uh, telling the uh, media that the new coronavirus clinically no longer exists, that it's less potent, that this viral load is lower. Uh, Yesterday, the World Health Organization hit back and said, well, there's just no evidence of that. We just haven't uh, done enough um, studies. There's no data to support that claim. So I have to ask you, can a virus lose its potency or, or is this a possible case of mutation? Uh, I like the word that you used earlier, perplexing. That's exactly what I felt when I heard these comments. And, you know, yes, viruses do mutate, but they don't change in this relative short period of time. And I think that what is actually happening is that we're just seeing the evolution of the outbreak in general. We know in Milan there was lots and lots of cases to the point of a catastrophe, and now they're not in that stage anymore. So it can seem like it's less potent. It's just that we're now in a part of the outbreak that isn't as severe. Okay, so how damaging are conflicting reports or kind of like a perceived misinformation like this to countries like ours? We're gradually reopening and people are antsy to resume some sort of social life. So you hear one doctor in Italy say, yeah, um, COVID clinically no longer exists. And you hear the World Health Organization say, wait, hold off a second. Is that dangerous messaging? I do think that this can have a, a, a rippling negative effect. Uh, like my colleague, Dr. Isaac Bogoch mentions that in the times of pandemics, people thirst for good news. And there's people that are, you know, are not so on board with the lockdowns. They hear something like this, and this sort of confirms their biases, and they don't want to listen. And that's why, where I think the dangerous uh, messaging can lie. Listen, if they're right, and they, they actually have some evidence for this, let's see the evidence. But as far as I know, that article that he is referring to, this physician, hasn't been published yet. I'm very interested in reading that. It's supposed to be released next week. Okay, so we're looking forward to more information there. And, you know, if he is right, that's a really hopeful sign. Um, Could it be um, a case of just, you know, the virus is just slowing down in that region and they might see another spike? Uh, that's exactly what, uh, what I'm wondering. You know, they're, they're now down to a level that's much more manageable. The other thing is that when you have a catastrophe level like you saw in Milan or you saw in New York City, you have a lot of young people also getting sick. And young people have this interesting thing where their immune system can have this explosive response that results in them getting very, very ill very quickly. 
Elderly people don't tend to have that. And now what we're seeing is more elderly people getting sick, and that might be what they're seeing as these less severe cases. But that said, again, let's see what the evidence shows next week. I'm not uh, going to change my views at this point until I know that. One of the most frustrating and confusing things about COVID-19 is it's so hard to get a handle on this virus. It seems like we all expect science to have all of the answers. Now, uh, we were talking about researchers, and you're looking forward to the research coming out of Italy and it being published uh, next week. There were researchers now that have said that it looks like COVID-19 could be a vascular disease, not a respiratory disease. Can you... um? Tell us how this could change the way we we treat and fight COVID-19. Yes, well, it's not that it's, it's not a respiratory disease. It clearly is primarily something that uh, attacks the respiratory tract. But with viruses, when you see this many cases, you can now start to see the wide-ranging effects outside the respiratory system. And one of them is definitely something vascular because we do see a lot of people uh, having problems with clotting. We've also seen these vascular type of uh, systemic syndromes in children. Uh, it's rare, but it's there. So it's something to be considered. And this is not um, unique to coronavirus. We see this with all sorts of other infections that have effects beyond their primary organ of uh, effect. Okay, so does this mean that uh, we're going to look at a different way of uh, approaching coronavirus, though, if we are starting to understand that it could affect more than one system? Not necessarily, because this is something that has been seen right from the beginning. Now, the, uh, how much we can uh, rely on, for example, uh, preventatively treating for clots, that's what we're looking into right now. But these unusual aspects of coronavirus have been seen since the beginning. It's known to do stuff widely beyond the respiratory system. It's just that we have to consider this. And now we're trying to, to hone our treatments in what can we reliably do to prevent bad outcomes such as clots. And that's uh, what we're studying right now. Uh, there's all sorts of studies around the world about that. So I think the approach is just going to become more precise as we know more, but all this stuff was known. Yeah, we're starting to hear, though, that the effects of coronavirus is lingering um, in some people that should be through the illness by now. What do you know about that and the fact that this disease is kind of hanging on to some people? Yeah, this is actually another common thing that we see with very, very severe or, you know, widespread systemic infections is people, after they get better, the infection's gone, there's some, you know, there's a footprint left. People can have often a lingering cough, they can have lingering fatigue. There's all sorts of things that we see. Sometimes we even see uh, an uh, autoimmune response that comes after an infection is gone. This is something seen with many other infections, and we're now just characterizing this better with, with COVID-19. So we're seeing that we're learning a lot more about this virus as we uh, as time passes but we have to remember that this is not unique to coronavirus many other types of infections have these types of characteristics give us an example of an autoimmune response that you're seeing so uh, I, we haven't seen this yet in coronavirus, at least widespread. But for example, Guillain-Barre, you can see after infections, the infection goes away and you see this autoimmune response that attacks your nerves and you can become paralyzed for a short period of time. This is an example of a post-infectious autoimmune syndrome. Now, we've seen some stuff, I think, with uh, COVID-19 that I've seen myself, that people get a bad cough, a post-viral cough that's very common with other respiratory illnesses. We've also seen very bad post-infectious fatigue. People just can't do anything for weeks after they've recovered. Again, these, this is not unique to uh, coronavirus. We've seen this with many other infections. But now we're, this is coming to light because we're in that next part of the, uh, the outbreak where we're seeing all these post-infectious phenomena. 
And are a lot of people chalking this up to, in some cases, like sloughing it off to, okay, you're experiencing anxiety because you had COVID. Uh, you know, how important is it to pay attention to what people are saying after they've uh, recovered? It's very, very important to do so. And what I always tell people is that anxiety and depression and these types of things are normal after a severe infection like this. And I always mention that this is not the cause of your symptoms, but it is making things worse. So, and, and we know that mental health is one of the big impacts of COVID-19, and it has to be considered when evaluating patients who have gone through this very harrowing experience. Dr. Chakrabarty, I want to ask you about um, the big story of the day. I think it's the fact that yesterday CBC reported 700 positive COVID cases were not reported to public health by two hospitals. Staff thought it was the other hospital's job. What does that say about the communication in the healthcare system in general? This has certainly put a spotlight on uh, some of the what we were looking at systemic problems in terms of communication, you know, um, using things like fax machines to uh, give data. These things are all very outdated. And I don't think that uh, this was obviously quite a big case, but it makes us uh, important to look at the entire picture. Where are these systemic things that we can look at, address and change so something like this doesn't happen again? And we really, really need to look into this because, look, if this is happening on such a big scale, what are other things that could be happening around? And we really really need to do this to make sure our response is quick and efficient. How big of a potential fail is 700 people not being properly informed of possibly their condition and their contacts traced? I mean, is this more dangerous than a crowd of 20-somethings in a park on a hot day? Well, I mean, it's hard to compare the two. It's a bit of, um, you know, uh, apples and oranges. But that said, yes, this is obviously something that can have quite an effect. And you're right. Uh, you know, we, we're having, um, we know very much that contact tracing is an important part of keeping the outbreak under control. And if 700 people were potentially not informed, that could have a downstream effect. So, you know, I, I want to get a bit more information because this is the in- in initial story. We don't have all the details just yet of exactly what happened. But you are right. This certainly can have downstream effects. And we have to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Yeah, I mean, I I have a few details, but you're right. Um, It it seems like... the people at uh, different hospitals or the involved hospitals are saying, yeah, you know, you might want to talk to uh, the health department on this. We're going to just defer to them. But uh, one of the things that I can say is that William Osler thought it was uh, the responsibility of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai thought it was the responsibility of William Osler. And it turns out, according to the CBC, it was indeed William Osler's uh, responsibility. So, uh, it clearly, you know, I don't want to put blame at this. These people are incredibly busy. But um, I think it's important that the the big thing in this story to me is the fact that the, the officials, no one wants to drop the ball on this. And William Osler were not well informed of what they were supposed to do after they got a positive report from Mount Sinai, which was the lab that was testing their uh, their cases. Yes, and these communication breakdowns, you know, can be a symptom of a, you know, a, a systemic issue that we have to look into this. And, you know, with uh, something like COVID-19, it's such a big thing, such a big change for all of us in all aspects of medicine and in, in the public as well. And uh, stuff like this needs to be identified quickly and uh, responded in a way that, again, it never happens again. And, uh, you know, I, I, I am uh, uh, quite surprised at this story, and I, I'm mm-hmm. definitely looking forward next couple of days to see what uh, uh, the full details are. Dr. Suman Chakrabarti, it is a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Stay safe. Cheers.